Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Amen. You can be seated. I invite you this morning to open your Bibles to Psalm 138. We're taking a little break from our study of James, looking at the theme of Thanksgiving today. I want to start with a quote by that philosopher and theologian, Johnny Carson. He said, Thanksgiving can be an emotional holiday. People travel thousands of miles to be with people they only see once a year and then discover that once a year is way too often. Can you relate to that? No, you didn't want to say amen too loud because you have family with you here probably. Thanksgiving seems to be that time when we go to be with family, yet all the crisis and all the turmoil and drama unfolds there. But it is a good time. When you ask almost anybody, what does Thanksgiving mean to you? And they say family. And maybe that's a good thing for you. Maybe it's not a good thing, like Johnny Carson says. Well, I want us to go to the Word of God and just look at a simple psalm written by David that lets us know what Thanksgiving should mean for the believer. So this morning, the thankful believer. It's interesting, the first pilgrims who celebrated the first Thanksgiving, uh, somebody, a, a historian, noted that they dug seven times more graves than homes that they built, huts that they built. Yet in the midst of that, burying more people than they were able to start homes, they gave thanks. So let's look at what the Bible says about a thankful heart from a genuine believer. Verse 1, Psalm 138, I will give you thanks with all my heart. I will sing your praise before the heavenly beings. I will bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your constant love and truth. You have exalted your name and your promise above everything else. On the day I called, you answered me. You increased strength within me. All the kings on the earth will give you thanks, Lord, when they hear what you have promised. They will sing of the Lord's ways, for the Lord's glory is great. Though the Lord is exalted, he takes note of the humble, but he knows the haughty from a distance. If I walk into the thick of danger, you will preserve my life. From the anger of my enemies, you will extend your hand. Your right hand will save me, for the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Lord, your love is eternal. Do not abandon the work of your hands. This is a great psalm that David writes, and I want to take it and just identify some aspects of the thankfulness of a genuine follower of Christ, the thankful believer. The first thing really is the most important thing, and that's from verse 1. Thankfulness should permeate the life of a Christ follower. Thankfulness permeates the life. Verse 1, I will give you thanks with all my heart. One translation says, I will give you thanks with everything that's in me. By the way, when this translation says, I will sing praise before your heavenly beings, some translations say God's with a little g. It's debatable on how that's to be translated, but I think both are appropriate. I'm going to give thanks above the, the gods that people make up. God, I'm going to give you thanks. I'm going to give you thanks above the heavenly beings, the angels. God, I give you thanks above all of them. But the psalmist says, with all my heart, with everything that I am, and what I, what I sense here is just David is saying, God, the, the thanksgiving that's in my heart overflows. 
It's the natural part of my being. It's in my, my DNA. It's in the fiber of who I am as a Christ follower. I will give thanks with everything I am, everything I have. I'll give you thanks. I love that. It should be the overflow. It shouldn't be, well, God, when things are going good and circumstances look all right, I'm going to give you thanks. In everything, let it overflow. Does it overflow from your life? A few years ago when we were still meeting in the other building, that small room down there, that right now it's exciting that now that's where our children meet, our, our preschoolers meet in that wing down there. But we had scheduled a baptism, and, and I can't remember if it was the morning or evening anyway, uh, the, the water had been turned on the baptistry for the baptism. And I came in early that, that afternoon, and I, I looked in. We had light blue carpet in the, in the worship center back then. I just kind of looked through. We had these little windows, like in a, in a diner, you know, little little the windows like that. And I looked in and the carpet looked dark. And I thought, I don't remember our carpet being that dark. I wonder if it's the lighting. I opened the doors and looked in. The carpet was dark because it was soaking wet. And it was wet. I looked all the way up the aisle, looked all the way up and saw the stage was wet. And then I looked at the baptistry, which is right back here if you're not familiar. It's the same baptistry, it's just in this building. Water was flowing over the top of that thing. We had a cascading river of life in our worship center. Spring up, oh well, within my soul. You know that song? Uh, we came in and turned it off. The water had been left on, and we were ready to baptize. I, I know that much. We called the deacons and everybody. We came in and got the place cleaned up, and fortunately, we didn't have a problem with that. But I thought that's really what, what David is saying. Just overflow. It's like God was, you know, we, we said, well, the baptism will overflow because we forgot to turn it off. It's as if God says to us, let that Thanksgiving overflow as if you forgot to turn it off. Oh, I forgot. Things aren't going too good for me. I, I I forgot to stop giving thanks. That's the attitude we're to have. The overflow. It should permeate your life. Jesus said, this is how others will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And I would put a a subheading under there. If you have a heart of thanksgiving and gratitude for who you are, the people are going to take note of that. Second characteristic of this thankful believer, he depends on the promises of God's word depending on the promises of God's word. Look at verse 2. I will bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your constant love and truth. You have exalted your name and your promise above everything else. By the way, you notice how many times David refers to God in this passage? You, your, you, your. He's just focusing on God here. In this section, he says, I've exalted your name and your promise above everything else. I like that. One translation said, your promises are backed by the honor of your name. I shared this morning how my son Cameron, when he was little, somewhere when he was little, he asked me to explain what is a promise. And I said, a promise is when somebody tells you they're going to do something, that means they're going to do it. And that stuck in his little brain. And he got that. From then on, from when he was little, whenever I'd say something and I wouldn't do it, he'd say, Dad, remember, a saying is a promise. You said you were going to do it, Dad. Are you going to do it? Man, he, he held my feet to the fire on that one. Tom was sharing with me in Zimbabwe that, that the missionaries told them when they got there, be careful what you say you might do. Because if you say, I might help you, they don't hear the might. If you say, I may come by, they don't hear that. I think he told one of the guys, I'll look at your roof. And later the guy said, how come you haven't fixed my roof? He said, well, I told you I'd look at it. He understood that meant you're going to do it. That's God's word. His promises are sure if he says that he's going to do it. That's a cause to give thanks, to rejoice in that. And I love this phrase. 
where he says it's, you've exalted your name and your promise. All through verse 2 there, it's all about his name. God's name is associated with what he does and who he is. Ron Allen, in, in his book, Praise, A Matter of Life and Breath, tells about a, an elderly gentleman who came after one conference and handed him a business card because they were teaching on Thanksgiving. He said, let me tell you what happened to me. Uh, and this is, this is the story. There was a, this missionary doctor had gone into the bush and there was a, a, a terrible disease that was causing almost everybody in this, in this culture, in this region, to lose their eyesight as they grew to adulthood. So this doctor, an eye doctor, went in as a missionary and develops a treatment for that, whatever that disease was, that ailment was. And he started treating people in that culture for this eye disease so that when they were little, they were all born with sight, but as they got older, they began to lose their eyesight. And he had a fix for that, and he was treating them one after another. And when they leave, they did not have a word in their culture that, to say thank you, but this is what they would say, I will tell of your name. Isn't that good? I, I've just been healed by this doctor who, as I went to his office, he told me, you're not going to go blind like everybody else because of this treatment. And the person says, I will tell of your name. See, here's what, here's what David says. God, I will tell of your name. I don't care if it's, if it's healing or forgiveness or family or church or whatever it is. It all has to be tied in and associated with his great name. That's the only reason we show up. Did we sing about it? Jesus, only Jesus. That's why we're here. We depend on the promises of the word of God in his great name. Just love that. Third characteristic. This person rejoices in answered prayer. Rejoicing in answered prayer. Look at verse 3. On the day I called, you answered me. Just stop right there. David says, God, the, the day that I called out to you, the day that I cried out, the day that I prayed, you answered me. You heard the, the saying, there's three answers to prayer when we pray. God usually says yes, no, or wait. Have you, got, have you heard that third one? I have, often. And usually it's not because God wants me to be more patient or whatever. It's usually because God is lining up circumstances in my life to fulfill what he wants to do and not just what I want to do. David says, God, I cried out to you and I, I heard this answer. Gordon Fort was a vice president. He may still be of our international mission board, um, our convention's mission agency. And he, he told a story about when he was a little boy. He was raised by missionary parents in Africa and his mom was a surgeon, and she told the story about how she was performing surgery on a, on a patient there in Africa. And while she was doing the surgery, this pump stopped that was supplying life to this patient. And she prayed, Lord, if you don't intervene, this patient's going to die. And that's something for a surgeon to pray. She just steps back from the surgery, and she stops, and she says, Lord, if you don't intervene, this patient's going to die. It started right back up again. Performed the surgery, everything was fine. And she went and told Gordon that story. It stuck with him as a little kid. That when you say, God, if you don't intervene, we're not going to get by this. And God showed up. Folks, that's the way he does it. David says, I cried out, I called out, and you answered me. In Isaiah 59, verse 1, Isaiah wrote these words. Behold, the Lord's hand is not too short that it cannot save, nor is his ear dull that it cannot hear. Just love that. God, it's this picture for us that God's hand is not too short that he can't lift us up and save us. His ear is not dull that he cannot hear. When I was growing up, my mom seemed to have supernatural hearing. Have you noticed that? I'd say something over there and she'd say, I heard that. Oh, 
I remember one time I had some buddies over. We were having a camp out in the backyard, and little boys, you know, little boys, that's all I need to say. Little boys. Stories, jokes, stuff that went on that little boys do that their big brothers, you know, tell them, oh, this is what my brother said, and all that stuff. The next day, my mom says, Kevin, I heard that. Oh, I heard what you and your friends were talking about. Super hearing. Folks, that's God. I heard that. But look at it in a positive sense. And I cried out. God says, I heard that. Answered prayer. Number four, the fourth characteristic. Characteristic, this person relies on God's power in times of trouble. Relying on God's power in times of trouble. David is, is crying out to God. God answers him. And look at verse the, the next part in verse 3 there. I called and you answered me. You increased my strength. You empowered me. Some translations say, you made me bold and strengthened my soul. The New Living Translation says, you encouraged me and gave me strength. Eugene Peterson translates it this way in the message. You stepped in and made my life large. I like that. God's power when we come to that point of need. Can you think about times in your life where you have needed God's power? Either for boldness, either for strength to get through whatever that was, whatever that, that time of trouble. As I was preparing the sermon, I, I thought back through my life, and I made this long list of times where God showed up in my life. And I'm not going to read that whole list to you, but I just went, went back to one. One kept coming up. When I was a, uh, my final semester in seminary, my mother passed away. And in that process of those months going into her death, she had cancer. My sister had had a conversation with my mother, and she said, Mom wants you to do her funeral. And I just, you know, I said, I don't know if I can do that. Well, the months went by, Mom passed, and it was my turn to do what Mom wanted me to do. And I did not know what I was going to say. I, I didn't have a funeral sermon prepared. You know, you're, you're a seminary student. You don't have them in your file. You can pull them out. God, maybe I can get through if I just read this thing. I prayed, and I said, God, I just need you to show up and give me strength to do this. And I stood up in front of a church about this size, and Kelly sang, and then I preached. I don't remember, I remember the passage, but I don't remember exactly everything I said. But God gave me power to preach that sermon. And people afterwards said, Kevin, how did you do that? I said, I don't know. I have no idea, but I do know. God gave me his power at that moment. You can rely on him in those moments. Fifth characteristic. David demonstrates that he acknowledges God's protection on our life. Acknowledging God's protection. See, a genuine Christ follower will have to do that. Look at verse 7. If I walk into the thick of danger... I like that. Somebody shared recently through the thick and thin, God's been there. David says, if I walk into the thick of danger, it sounds like Psalm 23, doesn't it? If I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, when I walk. He says, if I walk into the thick of danger, you preserve my life. You will preserve my life from the anger of my enemies. You will extend your hand. Your right hand will save me. That's exciting. The sovereign Almighty creator of the universe says, when you get in the thick of it, my right hand will save you. Again, Isaiah said, my arm's not short, his arm is not short that he cannot reach. I love that picture. I love that picture. I'm reading through my, uh, my Bible reading for the year, and now I'm in the book of Nehemiah about to wrap up. 
just a few more weeks. And I just read the story of Nehemiah as he was called back by God to go back to Jerusalem from captivity and to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah rallies some people and they start rebuilding this wall. And while they're rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem, there's some people there that don't like it and they oppose them and they send nasty letters and they even threaten to attack them. So Nehemiah gives the guys this instruction. Every worker is supposed to keep his sword strapped on. And, and others said, I want you to carry a weapon in one hand and the burden in the other. And so I have this picture of those guys with their spear in this hand, carrying a bucket of mortar in the other, going to build the wall. And, I, and as I was reading that and I connected the dots, I thought, that's, that's, I, that's the mental picture I have of God. He has his, his sword to protect me, and he has a bucket of mortar to do a work in my life. And that's this picture here of God saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preserve, I'm going to protect you in the midst of this. Think of all the places in my life where I've seen God's hand. Again, not just to empower me, but to protect me. Decisions I've made. Choices that, that if I'd made the wrong decision, how it would have been detrimental to my life. It would have been a, would have been a terrible consequences. I'd say, God, thank you for your protection in there. Times in my life where I've almost had a serious accident, or I have had an accident, hasn't been as serious, or there's been an injury and it wasn't as bad. I say, God, thank you for your protective hand in my life. Years ago, when, when our daughter Carissa was still living at home and she was little, I, I prayed almost every night, God, protect our home. God, protect our home. Just your hedge of protection around our home. And we were sitting there watching TV, and I heard this loud crash in Carissa's bedroom. Fortunately, she was in the living room with us watching TV. And I hear this loud crash, and I run into her bedroom, and just, you know how you do when something happens, you're not sure what's going on. I'm trying to process what had just happened. The, the blinds are open, something's just come through the window, and I look, and there's, there's glass everywhere. All over where my daughter's bed was, was covered with glass. And I looked out the window, I heard a car speeding away, so I ran out the front door. I don't know what I was going to do, just find out who it was, what happened. And somebody had taken this giant piece of concrete with rebar in it and thrown it through my daughter's bedroom window. And it hit the frame and fell back outside. And so, you know, after I finally got calmed down and processed and everything, I said, Lord, you said you'd protect us. And then God said, duh. I don't know that he said that, but that's what I heard. It's in Kevin's translation. God said, duh. God's, God just spoke to my heart and said, did I not protect you? Was your daughter in there? No, she wasn't. God has protected. I, and I give God thanks for that. The sixth characteristic, don't miss this, of a thankful believer, we're able to identify God's purposes in our life. Identify God's purposes in our lives. Look at verse 8. The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. Lord, Your love is eternal. Do not abandon the work of Your hand. I mentioned in the, in the 830 service that verse 7 refers to the fact that God is right-handed. I don't know that, but he always mentions his right hand. And then one of the ladies caught me after church and said, Pastor, you, you also mentioned in verse 8 that he, he helped with his hands. And so I thought that was good. That'll preach. So I'm going to use it. God's fulfilling the purpose in my life, the work of his hands. The New Living Translation says, you will work out your plan in my life. I just love that. Do you see it? The the follower of Christ is able to say, God, I may not be able to connect all the dots. I may not be able to see what's happening, but I'm going to trust you that you're working out your plan in my life. What did God say to Jeremiah? Jeremiah, go to the potter's house and watch the potter with the clay. And the whole story there was 
to illustrate to the children of Israel when the clay got marred and the potter threw it away that God could do what he wanted with the clay. But there's a truth there that God, God was illustrating with, through the potter that his hands are shaping what he wants. Fulfilling his purpose in the life of the people of God. That's exactly what David is saying here. God, you will fulfill, verse 8, your purpose for me. That's what he's doing. For that, we're thankful. I mentioned Gordon Fort, the missionary. He shared a story when he was in, in Africa trying to do an outreach to the Kalanga people. They were going from tribe to tribe sharing the gospel and they made arrangements, Gordon and this missionary, to go to, uh, to preach the gospel to this chief because that's what you do. You go to the chief of the tribe and you start there get permission. And while they were on their way, they noticed a, a peasant woman in a little kind of a corral with a, with a cow. And as they walked by, they're thinking, should we stop and talk to her about Jesus? Well, no, we probably shouldn't. And I don't know what the conversation went on, if they just thought this or talked about it. But Gordon writes about it, about how they were unsure about approaching this woman because in that culture, you just don't do that. Two strange men do not walk up to a peasant woman to start a conversation with her. But they talked about it, and, and finally the missionary just began to enter into a conversation with that lady. So he's talking to her in her heart language and Gordon's sharing the gospel in another African language, and there's interpreting going on. And so these two African languages are communicating with this woman in her heart language, and, and they share the gospel with her, that Jesus, God loved her, that Jesus died for her, and that if she'd receive him by faith, she could have salvation and forgiveness of sins. And the woman realized the truth, and she prayed. So they led her in a prayer in her, her language to receive Jesus as personal Savior, and as soon as she trusted Christ, she turned to Gordon and started talking to him in English. And he freaked out. He said, it's a miracle. And then he got to talk to her a little bit more. And she said, I actually was trained in America. I went to the University of Oklahoma. And, uh, yeah, and I was trained there. And now I'm in my own country and I'm working for our government. I just came home for this time to help my parents with their farm. But I saw you two approach me. And I, and I just knew... If these two are willing to ignore the social, cultural barriers and come and, and talk to me, what they had to say must be important. It must be truth. So that's why I gave my heart to Jesus. I thought, there's God's plan and purpose. To put them there, to arrange things the way he did. To have her be there at that moment when these two missionaries would be there, ready to share the gospel and for her to be open. That's something to give God thanks for. That his purposes and plans are being fulfilled in your life. Let me invite you to bow your head. Close your eyes. I'm going to read through this list again. And as I pause at each one of these, I want you just to silently give God thanks. To give God thanks. Thank him that thanksgiving is in the fabric of the Christian life. That that, that, that permeates our lives. Give him thanks for that. Would you thank Him for His promises and His Word that we can depend on that? Would you thank Him that He answers prayer? Would you thank Him that He provides power in times of trouble?
thank him that he protects. Would you thank him that he has a purpose for your life?